Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. Jay Jones, and I'm here with George Mays for Text Driven Tuesday. Good morning, George. Good morning. So, George, you covered an entire chapter. Entire chapter. Yep. I feel like you should get like uh, some type of medallion or something for that. You think so? Some type of an award. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of text. That's a lot of text to be covered. Well, it's thirteen verses. Yeah. I mean, it was a shorter chapter. Eh. There, there was a lot in there. Yeah, there was. But it it all goes together. No, you're right, and, and a lot. It's one a, of those. It's one of those passages. Like, man, I, I could break it up, but I just don't. I just don't know. Yeah, this is for the best. So Hebrews chapter eight, and you, um, I think best probably to, to keep it like you did all together. Um, as you said, there are many. There are some things that are a lot of it's um, re, um, reviews. Not the right word, but it's. It is like review. It's the same thing that's come up again, right? Uh, especially in the first point. Mm-hmm. But that's that's okay because we need to have that repetition. Yeah, that's the best way to learn anything is through repetition. So, and that's the way it's laid out. And yeah, you began by asking about <clears throat> monumental events in world history, like the invention of the wheel mm-hmm. and um, the printing press, things like that that changed trying to change the course of world history. And then um, you bridged into the coming of Christ as like the key the key event in all of all of world history, right? Uh, we cha- the, even the dates we measure time by that event. Yeah. E- even in the secular world, like they change it to common era. Yeah, yeah. BCE. Yeah, yeah. Like BCE what? and like where common era? Like where's the? Where are you? Uh... Where are you seeing the the switch from before the common era to the common era? Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same event. They just are trying to mask it. It's it's the same event. Mm-hmm. So this is the big event, and so in particular, Hebrews is concerned with who Christ is because of the, how monumental this is, and we're in uh, the section of chapter eight, which you called the heart of the book. Yeah, I think so. I think that um, he begins by saying, now the point in what we are saying is this. And the word that's translated in the ESV as point is, it, it can be translated as sum. So okay. the, su- the sum of everything we've been saying is this. We uh-huh. have such a, a high priest. And right. he, and then he just, like he said, he, he just kind of reviews everything that he's he said. Mm-hmm. Um, about Christ and his priesthood. And um, then we get to verse six, which I think is the, I think it's the heart of the chapter. I think it it kind of tells us what the entire chapter is about. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it's dealing with uh, Christ's ministry and his, and the new covenant and the promises that are in the new covenant. So everything that's that's led up to chapter eight has been, who is Jesus? So he started with, he's the son He's greater than the angels, Moses, Joshua, and then we get into this big section of the book, which is his priesthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've dealt with that from the end of chapter four all the way through chapter seven, talking about his his priesthood, and now he really is going to talk about what does what does he do as as this priest? 
what are the implications for this? Um, and so he's going to deal with the new covenant. And the new covenant has to be instituted by blood, has to be instituted by sacrifice. And so chapters 9 and 10 are really going to hone in on that. And then uh, 11 through the end of the book will be what are, how should we respond okay. um, to this? So right. I, I think that chapter 8 really gets at what what is he really driving at? What's the point of this book? Why is he why is he writing this to these these uh, new Jewish Christians? And I think it's to really highlight the priesthood of Christ and how all of the um, the the institutions that are in Jerusalem are just a shadow that we're pointing to Christ. And so here's the here's the substance. Here's the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's that's really what he's driving at, and he makes his point here in chapter eight. Right. So I I, I missed the uh, what you called your your kind of proposition statement, like three three uh, ways Christ priesthood is superior. I can't remember what you said, but I got the three points. Well, I, I think that really it was um, that um, I think verse six just is is the summary statement, and so uh-huh. I, I just I looked at it and Took said, "There's my outline." Yeah. Okay. So Christ has obtained a ministry that's more excellent than that of the old, mm-hmm. because he mediates a better covenant that's established on better promises. Yeah, so, um, and that that really is the and flowing out of that is the idea that um, if this is it, if 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 this is true, that Christ has a better ministry and a better covenant, better promises, then it would be insanity to leave the church to go back to the old. Right. That's that's the whole the whole point is mm-hmm. they're they're being tempted to go back to uh, to Jerusalem, go back to the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood um, because of the the persecution they're facing. But if Christ has obtained a ministry that's more excellent than the ministry that the Levitical priests have because he mediates a better covenant than that which the priests are, um, I guess, mediating um, at the temple mm-hmm. through the law, um, and there's better promises, then why would you go back? Yeah. Why would you go back? So that's that's what he's that's what he's trying to impress upon them, and that's what I was trying to impress upon the congregation yesterday. Right. Okay, so as we move through here, we'll uh, since obviously, I mean, I guess there could be people in our church that were Jewish and maybe would consider going back. Um, let's try to then make some applications for each one for our particular context, um, and what do these points mean for us now? Yeah. So let's do that as we go through. But first, let's have you read chapter eight, okay? Please. All right. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, um, it reads, Now the point in what we are saying is this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, 
Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay. And I got these uh, I got these new progressive lens glasses, and uh-huh. I'm trying to like find the sweet spot so I can read the Oh, uh, you haven't figured <laughs> them the out text. yet. No, not not quite. Yeah. So mm. if I move my head a little bit too far, it's blurry. So mm. it's fun. Yeah. All right, so your first point, Christ, um, this is verses 1 through 5, Christ's better ministry. A little bit of um, some repetition from other things that have yeah. been covered already, but that's okay. And, you... and there's, um, there is um, some um, hints from earlier in the book, um, like grammatically, so... That first verse, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. You go back to chapter 1, verse 3, and it talks about him being seated at the right hand of the majesty. Right. Um, so he's, again, he's he's going back um, to the beginning. Verse 6, it, the, the grammar is very similar to uh, chapter 1, verse 4, where he's superior to the angels because he's inherited a name that is much more excellent than theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tried to um, tried to emphasize, um, maybe not, I, I, I know I did it more in our community group, but this, uh, when we're talking about he's obtained a ministry that's, that is uh, much more excellent, we need to remember this isn't in, um, it's not in like degrees, like here's the old, Right. Christ is a couple of you know clicks above. Mm-hmm. Like this is an infinite gap. So it's not like, well, you can choose the new, which is better, but the old is still good. Um, it's just not quite as good. Right. Um, what he's saying is that Jesus is not just a rank above angels. He's infinitely better than the angels. Right. The ministry that he is um, that he is uh, performing. And the the covenant that he mediates is not just a little bit better; it's infinitely better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you had three ways that he's better, and they were that he's a better priest, he ministers in a better temple, and there's and he has better sacrifice. Right. So those are your three <clears throat> main, and then we'll talk a little bit about the shadow, the real, the reality, and the shadow mm-hmm. when we get to verse five. Um, 
but he is a better priest, so explain to us, like move through it, um, a better priest and a better temple and a better sacrifice. And I think one will be a lot of rehash for the if someone's already listened mm-hmm. for. So yeah. maybe do a little more on part two, because that might be interesting, I think, to people that, who haven't concerned or haven't um, <clears throat> encountered or thought about yeah. what is being said right. here. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a better priest, so we we looked at that um, in chapter 7, that um, perfection was not attainable through the Levitical priest, Um, so one after the order of Melchizedek has to arise. He's not not a priest based on some kind of genealogical law, but on his indestructible life, Mm -hmm. Um, and so he is, he's perfect, and he remains a priest forever, so he's, he's obviously better. We've We've talked about that, but um, yeah, he introduces kind of a new idea. He'll he'll talk about it a little bit more in chapter nine that Christ um, he ministers not in the earthly temple, but in the heavenly one. Mm-hmm. So this should be obvious. You've got the Levitical priest there; they have to be Levites. They're the ones that minister in the Jerusalem temple. Jesus is not a Levite, right? He's from Judah, and so he doesn't he doesn't minister in the Jerusalem temple. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't minister in a temple. Mm-hmm. There's a heavenly temple, um, and that's what he says in verses four and five. He says, if if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are already Levites, right? But verse five is a pretty profound verse. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a quote from uh, Exodus chapter 25, uh, verses 9 and 40. Um, he says it in 26, 30, and 27, 8. So four times in Exodus, Moses is instructed as he's, as he's um, receiving the kind of the blueprints for the the tabernacle make sure that you make it exactly as you saw the um the heavenly tabernacle right and uh, this is the it literally means that which you were caused to see mm-hmm. so most so we 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 have the words and we have like dimensions and make it like this and and verbal instructions right but um, it would seem that Moses actually saw it. Uh-huh. So whether it was, um, I don't know if it was a vision or I, I don't know. Um, he, he was shown the heavenly tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And he was told to make the earthly one to right. look like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, which is that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I mean, he's he's supposed. To, so the the earthly tabernacle, it's a copy. Um, it's um, it's a pattern. It's an example. So there's a real one, or or the original, and the earthly one is the copy. The copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what that means is that Jesus again, he's a superior priest who's ministering in the original temple. Mm-hmm. He's so the the uh, the Levites in the earthly tabernacle and later the temple um they they are just a copy of 
the the real, right? Yeah, let's. Uh, where where do we see the real? So the real original mm-hmm. temple, right? Which is God's dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um, where do we see it in the Bible? Um, we see it in Revelation. Mm-hmm. There's there's places in Revelation that we see it. Okay. Um, there's places in the prophets where they see his his throne. Right. Um, the train of his robe. Filled. Yeah. The temple. The temple, right? yeah. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. I don't and there's, know if there's and a the, place where it's... And he sees uh, someone who's like a man mm-hmm, right. in that temple. Right, yeah. Um, but the, the clearest places, I think, would be found in Revelation. Right, yeah, you get a, you get imagery there. Mm-hmm. I thought about Job, the beginning of Job. Mm. Uh, it's Now, it doesn't say temple, but right, it's, it's implied that this is... God has a court. He's right. like holding a... Uh, a court and and people are supernatural mm-hmm. people. Let's call them that. Angels, yeah. archangels, they're around his throne. Yeah. Um, so he comes somewhere. I think implied this is the same place. Yeah. Um, Revelation chapter eleven verse nineteen. It's the last verse of of Revelation eleven. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple. Um, chapter 15, um, verses 5 through 8. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. Out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the li- four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke and the glory of God. Uh, and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And I think it would be easy for us to to read that as it's just a vision, so it's just symbolic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's not how the author of Hebrews is is um, speaking about it. He's speaking about it as there is a, there's a heavenly temple, um, and it's an actual place, mm. and um, the earthly tabernacle was a copy of it. And so the Levites were supposed to, um, they're supposed to worship God in this copy. Um, We've got other places, um, Hebrews 9, uh, verse 11, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal um, redemption. Yeah. Um, verse 23 was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. So Moses sprinkled blood on the, the copies, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ is entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is this is um, he's he's emphasizing the fact that Christ's ministry is better, right? So the Levites they had a they had a glorious ministry um, under the law to offer sacrifices for forgiveness of sins in the tabernacle or in the temple, but it was a copy. It was a copy. Yeah, Christ has actually gone into the original. Yeah, and so his ministry is as superior to the Levites' ministry as the tabernacle he's gone into is superior to the copy that was in Jerusalem. Right? Yeah. 
Yep. And we, as we discussed already, and he has a better sacrifice. Right. Yeah. A one-time perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Levites, uh, Moses, he sprinkled you know the tabernacle with animal blood. The Levites, they sacrificed animals. But Jesus has gone into the original, not with the blood of animals, mm-hmm. because the superior tabernacle has to be sprinkled with superior blood. Right, um, and it's it's the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, and I think that I think that verse five it, it really kind of clues us into how we're supposed to read our Bibles. Okay, yeah, that um, they're serving a copy and a shadow. Mm-hmm. So when we read our Old Testament, we read it as Christians. We don't right. read it as as unbelieving Jews, right? Um, we we have to look. How does the New Testament show us what these things mean in their in their fullness? Uh-huh. Um, and so we when we when we see the the Levites sacrificing animals in the tabernacle, we need to recall that this is a shadow that's pointing forward to a greater reality. It's mm-hmm. pointing forward to Christ and right. His work and mm-hmm. what He what He has accomplished for His people. Um, Colossians chapter two verses sixteen and seventeen. Paul tells the the uh, the Corinthian or the the uh, the Christians in uh, Colossia, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in in regards to uh, festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. These all are a shadow, but the substance is Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. This helps us when you're reading through the the Old Testament, especially when you're reading some of the more difficult um, books of the law, like Leviticus, um, Deuteronomy. Remembering when when you're reading through these sacrifices and reading through these festivals and and the things that had to be done done at the temple, it's all pointing to Jesus. So you've got the gospel that's being preached in the Old Testament under these shadows, right? Um, but it's it's being preached. <clears throat> yeah. It's not um, we. You don't have um, you don't have two different ways of salvation in the Bible. In the Old Testament, they're saved by faith in the in the substance that's in the shadows. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, there's a, a movement. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's like Hebrew something. What, do you know what it is? It's like a uh, what the Hebrew roots? Maybe Hebrew roots. Yeah, um, where they observe the shadows. That's, I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Well, even um, even uh, groups like the Seventh Day Adventist, they still they still try to follow a lot of the the ceremonial right. stuff. Yeah. Um, there's questions as to you know can you know can a Christian um, observe the Passover? I, I don't know if it's wrong for a Christian to observe the Passover. Um, you know, if they're if they're commemorating the Exodus, right? Um, but uh, you know, if you're doing this because that's what the law tells you to do, and and you're trying to like observe these things, right? Um, you have to remember that it was a shadow; it was pointing forward to Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ, um, he superseded the Passover meal with his own meal, right? Right, the Lord's Supper. And that's what I, that's what I was going to say. Right. We we do observe Passover. Right. We do it when we take the Lord's yeah. Supper together. Yeah. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter five that our Passover has been sacrificed. Mm-hmm. It's 
and Christ. Christ has been sacrificed. He is our Passover lamb. Um, so when we're when we're reading, we need to remember that the substance. That's 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 what Paul says, Colossians two seventeen. The the shadow of the festivals, new moons, and the Sabbaths. They're they're a shadow, but the body. He uses the the word for body mm-hmm. is Christ. Um, so it's. Um, I mean, what would you what would you rather do? Would you rather observe the shadows, or would you rather see the substance? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, There's not a greater form of spirituality for a Christian yeah. to be a Christian and to observe Old Testament shadows. Right. It doesn't make you more spiritual or more pious right. or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really, other than for, for serving like a historical yeah. reason uh, yeah, 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 I mean, or educational yeah. purposes, right. like we don't, we, our spiritualism, uh, if that's a correct word, we don't, that's not how we practice yeah. Christianity. Yeah, uh, you know, think about a shadow, and the word is used intentionally. And you know what the Greek word shadow means? A shadow. A shadow. <laughs> yeah, there's not like some spiritual meaning to it. It's it's a shadow. So what do you think about a shadow? I mean, you look at a shadow, you see just a like an outline. Right? You can you can kind of get what the shadow is is supposed to be, but if you want to see the actual object. You look at the the actual object, right? right. Um, that's that's what's going on in the Old Testament. They're seeing the shadowy outline of Christ in the Levitical priesthood and in the the tabernacle and in the animal sacrifices and in the Sabbaths and the the festivals, the Passover. They're they're seeing a shadowy outline, but when Christ actually comes and he dies and is raised and he ascends, there's the substance. There's the object to which all the shadows were were supposed to be pointing you to. Mm-hmm. Right? So to uh, to make much about the shadows would be like me holding up, um, you know, a toy for Josiah. Oh, play with that shadow, and right. I've got the toy in my hand. Right? Yeah. What's he wanna? What What's better? What's superior? Mm-hmm. Is it the shadow on the ground, or is it the actual toy? Yeah. Right. Um, it's It's the same here. Don't go back to the shadows. The substance has come. Mm-hmm. All right, good. All right, let's move on to the second point. The second point is Christ mediates a better covenant. So uh, <clears throat> I think it'll be interesting to talk about this as we move through this section, but let's, for the reader, make clear what a covenant actually is mm-hmm. uh, in its historical background. Yeah. So I don't I don't know where I got this definition. Um I'm I'm 100% certain it's not mine, <laughs> but uh, a, a covenant, the, the children's catechism that, that the children learn on Wednesday nights, it just says a covenant is an agreement between two or more persons, mm-hmm. because a covenant doesn't have to be between God and man. Um, Abraham makes a covenant with uh, Abimelech, um, two, two men. Right. right? Um, but a uh, a covenant between God and man um, is a solemn oath initiated by God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sealed by a sign. It's filled with obligations on the part of God and man, and it's accompanied by promises and sanctions or, or blessings and cursings. Right. Um, so it's not it's not just a we we think of contracts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you could sign a contract with. I read a, str- a stranger, right? Yeah. Uh, but a covenant is more relational. 
Yeah. I read I read um, somewhere that in the ancient background, like say you had a, a really powerful, um, like everyone started as like warlords back in the day, right? Right. But let's say a warlord conquers a, a region. Now he holds like a lot of power. Now he's like more like a king, and mm-hmm. right? they call them kings. Right. Well, let's say there's a um, a neighboring city, state, or collection of cities, right? And they they say, okay, he's very powerful, but there's some very dangerous people to our west. Mm-hmm. They may enter into a covenant with right. that king, and right. the king will say something, you know, to the effect of as his as their like lord. Mm-hmm. That he will protect them, whatever, and then they have on their part um, things they must do to stay in covenant with him. Right. Um, I think that you would see this in Genesis chapter fourteen, which has ties to uh, to what we've been talking about in, in Hebrews. Um, you got Cadalamar. Mm-hmm. Remember talking about him months ago. Cadalamar. Yep. Um, he was over in the east, kind of around Babylon, and he had four kings or three three kings that were with him. Mm-hmm. Right. So he was he was the main guy. And he had these other kings, um, and they probably had a covenant with him. Right. Um, so we'll we'll serve you, or we'll give you stuff. And if we have to go to battle, you come with us. Or if you go to battle, we'll go with you. Mm-hmm. And um, it usually was accompanied with something like um, there were they blessings, would, they would, yeah, blessings they, and cursings. Yeah, they would lay they'd lay a uh, an animal down, and they they. Divide. Cut it down the middle, like from top to bottom, right, and lay it lay it uh, on its sides, and then the two parties would walk between the the pieces, and the the symbolism of that was may the same thing be done to me if I break the covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, we see this in Genesis fifteen mm-hmm. um, when God makes a covenant with Abraham. He tells Abraham to cut these pieces like this animal cut it into pieces and then abraham sees a, a torch and a flaming pot passing through the um the pieces which is interesting in itself because abraham doesn't walk through the pieces it's, right <laughs> only god walks only through. god walks through the pieces right mm-hmm. so he takes upon himself the the obligations um and the sanctions um to fulfill the covenant uh-huh. right um so that's the that's the seriousness right. of uh, of a covenant in the in the ancient Near East, right? And it's and it it really has a more of a relational mm-hmm. aspect to it than strictly like hey we enter into some type of business agreement. It's just yeah. a legal agreement. Right. It's it's more of relational. Like I'm I'm your lord. Right. You're my servant. Right. In a in a larger like it can be in a larger city state thing. It could be something like individual. Yeah. Um, you belong to me. I belong to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, uh, and, and marriage is the, marriage is a that's, covenant. That's the that's the best example that we have. Right. Um, we enter into a covenant now. Uh-huh. Now our culture has gotten to the place where it's just a contract. Yeah, it's just yeah, just a legal. Uh, thing. And if you don't, if you don't, you know, satisfy me in this contract, well, I can opt out and get a you know no fault divorce. Right. Um, but that's not that's not what marriage is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a solemn oath that is accompanied with promises, and uh, there's a sign. You, know, you got a wedding ring, um, and it's it's supposed to be until death do us part. Yeah, covenant between man, woman, and God mm-hmm. till right. death. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there are six major covenants in the Bible. This might be a surprise or something new to a lot of people. Mm. Um, 
And I guess maybe there's even some debate among the theologians there about, are. is there, uh, was there, so we'll start at the beginning. Yeah. And I agree that I believe there's a covenant in the beginning mm-hmm. uh, yeah. with Adam. With Adam. You can either call it the Adamic covenant or a covenant with creation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's different ways. Uh, some people will say the covenant of works. Right. But now we're really going down the rabbit hole. But just just to, you know, weed through it a little bit, the covenant with Adam. Right. Um, God God is the covenant Lord. He puts He puts Adam in this garden that is like a tabernacle. It's like a temple uh-huh. um, where he's supposed to work it and keep it. This is language that's used later of the Levites. They're supposed to work and keep the tabernacle. Um, and God... Um, gives him a law. Yeah, he has. There's, there's. So there's one law. There's one law. Um, yeah. And there, I. So here's where theologians disagree on. Spend a lot of time on it. Some say that it's, it's only a covenant of works. Mm-hmm. Do this, and you will live. Mm-hmm. Um, break the covenant, you will die. Right. However, I believe it's also a covenant of grace because he did not do anything right. to become the king of. Right, everything. Adam's the king of everything. Did you think well, of him as that? Yeah, I think. I think that again. There's, um, you know, the definition I gave. God initiates it. Right. Like Adam doesn't initiate this covenant with God. God initiates it with him. Mm-hmm. Same with Israel. God initiates it with Israel. Uh-huh. God initiates it with Noah. He initiates it with Abraham. It's, it's always God. Yeah. Right. So there's Adam. Then next is Noah. Noah. Uh-huh. The sign of that covenant is the rainbow. The rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um. And then from there we go Abraham. to Abraham. The sign of the covenant is circumcision. And so the the Abrahamic covenant um, is <clears throat> clearly, I believe, <clears throat> to be differentiated from the covenant with Moses. Yeah, um, it's interesting because circumcision. Paul Paul pairs circumcision with the law, mm-hmm. um, but God enters into the covenant with Abraham before. He gives him circumcision, right? So Abraham believes God and is counted to him as righteousness mm-hmm. before before circumcision is ever given, right? Right. Um, so Paul Paul does he he does tie circumcision in with the law, uh-huh. um, but the covenant with Abraham is not. It's a covenant of promise. It's not. Right. It's not a covenant of works. And there's also um, all nations inside this Abrahamic covenant. Mm-hmm. So we can, this is just, man, this is a huge thing. Yeah, we could, we could talk about this for... Then we go for, to Moses. Yeah. Uh-huh. And this covenant was Moses, cut... Moses, Israel. With, yeah. It's, it's called the Mosaic it's Covenant. The, Sinai, though, the Covenant of Sinai. Yeah, even though it's a covenant that's made with Israel. Right. Uh, Moses is the mediator. He's, yeah. the go, he's the go-between. Mm-hmm. You see it very clearly. Israel's down at the bottom of the mountain. God's at the top. Moses has to, this 80-year-old guy has to keep walking up and down the mountain um, because he's the mediator. Yeah, um, he's the one that that uh, is the go-between. He speaks to God on behalf of the people. He speaks to the people on behalf of God. Yeah, right. Um, and under that, that's the law. Yeah, right. The law is given to Israel. So this is the this is the big one. Right. This is the one that we're talking about here. Okay. When we talk about the old covenant, that's what we're talking about. We're mm-hmm. talking about the law. Okay. Right. Next would be David. Okay. The Davidic covenant um, found in Second Samuel chapter seven, mm-hmm. um, where God again initiates a covenant with David. David mm-hmm. wants to build a, a temple for God. God says, "I'm going to build you a house instead, and one of your sons is going to sit on the throne forever." Okay. 
Um, next, the new covenant. All right, yeah. And there's there's other there's other little covenants. There's covenant renewal ceremonies, um, like uh, Josiah. He he, um, he renews the covenant, which would be the Mosaic covenant um, with the people. So there's there's little there's little covenants, but those are the six big ones. Uh huh. Um, so the new one. How about a seventh? Is there one that's debatable on the seventh? A seventh? I don't think. Like... I don't think so. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, there's uh. So there's there's six major covenants. Mm-hmm. I can. I mean, there's. What about one that's pre-time? Pre-time? Well, yes, there is one that's pre-time. We don't. Uh-huh. We get. We get uh, that in places like uh, Ephesians chapter one. Um, I I don't know if Hebrews chapter thirteen is mentioning that one. I'm I'm more inclined to think it's the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a, a, a trinitarian right. covenant. Yeah. Um, and so this is the the covenant that is between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Right. And it's something that's kind of it's not explicitly stated in Scripture. Right. It's something that's kind of you have to uh, pe- you have to piece together through taking in the New Testament. Right. Well, as- what uh, what we see throughout the Bible is that God, how does He interact with people? Mm-hmm. He interacts through covenants. Mm-hmm. Everywhere He enters into a relationship, it's always covenantal. Um, and so when the Father is giving a bride to the Son, and the Son agrees to purchase the bride. The Spirit agrees to apply the work of the Son um, to the people um, to accomplish the work. The best way to see this is in covenantal terms, mm-hmm. that if God always interacts as a covenant God, then the most foundational covenant would be a covenant between the three persons of the Trinity. Right. <clears throat> so there's that, and that would give us... The perfect number seven, George. The perfect number. But let's get back. That's We're true. getting off track. That's true. <laughs> uh, okay, so That's true. Christ mediates better covenant. So now let's talk about what is the distinction here is between really the law, the Mosaic right. covenant, mm-hmm. and between Christ who mediates a better covenant right. than did the Levites mm-hmm. and Moses. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. So when he says in verse uh verse seven. If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Mm. So he's he's pairing all all six of these covenants down to there's the first one, which is the Mosaic covenant, the law, and the second one, which is the new covenant. Um, and um, he he asked the question that he asked over in chapter seven, verse eleven: If perfection had been um, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, why? Why does there need to be another priesthood after the order of Melchizedek? If the first covenant had been faultless, um, that word is used all over the Old Testament to uh, to describe being morally blameless. So it's used a lot uh, for Job. Um, he's blameless. Mm-hmm. If it was blameless, if it was faultless, then what occasion would there be for a second one? Mm-hmm. Right. If the first one was good enough, why do we need a second one? If the first priesthood was good enough, why do we need a second one? Right, so he's following kind of the same. The the, the yeah. structure is kind of the same here. 
Yeah, so the question is, why Why do we need a new covenant? Right. Like, what's wrong with the old covenant? Is there anything right. really wrong with the old covenant, yeah. or is there something wrong with the covenant member? Yeah, and that's what we have to be really careful to uh, to distinguish between, because um, Paul even says the law is holy and righteous and good. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not the fault of the law, and we see that very clearly at the first line of verse 8, for he finds fault with them. Yeah. Um, that's not a typo. <laughs> that's uh, that's not uh, ambiguous. He could have said, if he was talking about the law, he could have said, for he finds fault with it. Right. He doesn't. He it, he uses the plural. He finds fault with them. Them. Mm-hmm. them. Um, and the problem, he, he quotes from Jeremiah 31. This is the longest Old Testament quote um, in the New Testament, uh-huh. um, which should, I think... It's, it's a section in your Bible, if you're looking at it, that's yeah. like, Different than the other text. Yeah, it looks like it looks like poetry all of a sudden. It's yeah. it's the it's set it's set apart. If you're using the New American Standard or the Legacy Standard Bible, it's it's in all caps, right? To make it very clear, this is an Old Testament quote. Um, so it says, "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them," declares the Lord. Mm. The problem with the old covenant is the people. Yeah, um, we see this at the very beginning, Exodus twenty-four. Moses comes down from the mountain. He has the covenant. He reads the law to the people, and the people say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yeah. They say it several times. And he sprinkles them with the, he sprinkles the law with the blood, he sprinkles them with the blood, and then God calls him back up so that he can um, receive the, the vision of the heavenly tabernacle and receive the instructions for how to build it. Uh-huh. And while he's up there, he's up there for 40 days, these people who had just said all that the word the Lord has spoken, we will do, uh, come to Mo, uh, come to Aaron and say, "Make us a god <laughs> who will lead us." Yeah. And we've got Exodus thirty-two, which is the golden calf incident. So mm-hmm. we at the very beginning, <laughs> they enter into this covenant with God, and they hear the sanctions, right? Um, the these curses <laughs> if you if you break these you know, break this covenant. And they say, we'll do it. And then they uh, create an idol. Yeah. And they, they worship it. Mm-hmm. They have a big party. Um, so they break it. Um, we we see um, a summary of this in, in Jeremiah 7, verses 23 through 26. God gives them this covenant, tells them to do this. If you do it, you'll live. And they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, God tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 10, circumcise your hearts. Yeah, how you do that, Jay? Right. <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the procedure for circumcising your own heart? Yeah. Well, what does right. that mean? Let's get it. Maybe ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. What does it mean? Yeah. What does it mean? It would imply something's wrong with your heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's impurity in yeah. you. There's um, there's wickedness, and you're supposed to cut it out uh-huh. and cut it off of you. Um, but the problem is, you can't do it. Uh-huh. And the weakness of the law is that the law can't, it can't do it for you. So the law can tell you what not to do. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't give you the means to do it. 
right? Right. Like, how do you even police the Tenth Commandment? Do not covet. Right. Like how how what how do you how do you police that? Um, because it's in your heart. Um, and Jesus even expands it. He 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 reveals. He he kind of pulls back the curtain and he says, "Look, it's 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 far more than just this outward this outward action." Mm-hmm. So the you know the the Pharisees in Jesus's time they'd look at the um, sixth commandment, don't murder, and they would say, "I've never killed anyone." And they'd say, "I'm I'm a lawkeeper," and Jesus says, "Well, if you if you have hate, if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of hell." Um, they would look at the seventh commandment: "Don't commit adultery." And they'd say, "I've always been faithful to my wife." And Jesus says, "If you've ever lusted after a woman with your eyes, you've committed adultery with her in your heart." Um, the problem is is it's a, it is a radical problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a complete and total problem, and the law can point it out to you, and the law can threaten you, but that's it, right? Because the law is written on stone. Mm-hmm. It's written on stone tablets. You can read it, but um, at the end of the day, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. And so he says he finds fault with them because they didn't keep the covenant. They did not continue in my covenant. And so God says, I showed no concern for them. Yeah. And so this is the superior superiority of the new covenant is that the new covenant, which Christ mediates, actually deals with the heart problem. Right. It circumcises the heart. Mm-hmm. We The theological term is regeneration. God gives a new heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't a surprise that appears in the New Testament, right? Right. Because it's uh, God tells them that He's going to do it in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. That it's all over the place. It's mm-hmm. it's all the way back in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Deuteronomy chapter ten verse sixteen talks about circumcise the foreskin of your heart and no longer be stubborn. Um, and then we have the book of Deuteronomy that has all these laws. Deuteronomy thirty is um, a prophecy that you're not going to do it. <laughs> you're going to go into exile. Um, and when you come out of exile, Deuteronomy 30, I believe it's verse 16. I, I believe it's it's verse 16 also. Um, it promises that God will circumcise your heart. Mm-hmm. That's the new covenant. It's, a pro- it's the promise of the new covenant all the way back in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we see... Um, promises and it, it starts to expand as we see the the prophets. Isaiah talks about this this covenant that is going to be made. Ezekiel talks about how God, after the exile, is going to take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's going to give uh, a new a new spirit to them mm-hmm. so that they actually will want to obey. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other prophets they talk about these these days that are coming when God is going to actually save His people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the, what what the the law couldn't do, the new covenant will do, mm-hmm. and that's what Paul says in Romans eight verse three that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, the the problems with them, could not do by sending His Son in the flesh to condemn sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so <clears throat> the law is powerless to change you; it can only condemn you. Because mm-hmm. by the time you read it. 
Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. I wouldn't have even known what coveting was until I read the law. And as soon as I, I read do not covet, the law killed me. Right. <laughs> because he, he realized what he, he is. realizes he's a lawbreaker. Um, as soon as you read the law, you, you recognize it came too late. Right. I'm, I'm already a lawbreaker. Uh-huh. All it does is reveal your guilt. Yeah. Um, it kills you, it, it can't save you. But the new covenant actually does. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, uh, it's far superior mm-hmm. to the old. Right. Okay, so the third is uh, Christ's better. How was it? It's enacted on better promises. Mm-hmm. I think I missed the first word you yeah. read. So Christ's covenant is enacted on better promises. Right. Yeah. So there's the promise of new hearts. Mm-hmm. Right. Those promises are given. Yeah. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, the promise of God's um, presence with His people. Mm. Uh, with all of his people, yeah. promises that every person of the new covenant will actually know the Lord. Mm-hmm. No one will have to come to you and say, know the Lord, because every member of the new covenant has actually been taught by God and knows the Lord. Right. Um, sins are actually dealt with, for re- like, I want to say for real, permanently. Yeah, and that, that and that verse, verse 12, that should be a, that, that should have been a staggering promise. Mm-hmm. Because remember, the, the, um, the Israelites, they had to offer sacrifices every single day, um, every for for all their sins. They uh, every year there was the Day of Atonement, and it was just a constant reminder of sin. Mm-hmm. That that's what um, chapter ten tells us in verse three. These sacrifices in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And here God says, "I'll remember their sins no more." Yeah, that that should be. Like seismic, mm-hmm. right? Something is going to happen where our sins are actually going to be dealt with, right? Yeah, and it's something that the law can't do because the law prescribes these continual these continual sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the new covenant promises an actual end to sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, this verse. I think it'd be interesting for people um, people that are in the new covenant. Uh, verse, uh, where's it at? Uh, verse 11. They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Mm-hmm. All right. So this will be a little, maybe a little extra info for people. So there's a difference between... And we don't want to go too deep because next week I'm going to okay. talk about uh, this right. some more. Well, so we don't we want can to talk pump about the brakes too much. If you want to. But um, the, the idea of knowing the Lord is more than just intellectual. Uh-huh. It's it's again it's relational, so you look at First Samuel um, chapter two, um, I believe it is verse twelve, and you have Hophni and Phineas. Mm-hmm. They're priests. Um, they're they're actual Levites. Yeah. Right. Um, and yet the uh, they are described as worthless men, literally sons of Belial, sons mm. of the devil. Uh, they do not know the Lord. Mm. Now these are priests yeah. again. <laughs> they're they are ministering in the tabernacle under the law. Um, it's not intellectual. They know who Yahweh is, right? But they don't know him. Mm-hmm. There's there is something that's missing, mm-hmm. and it's that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in the next chapter, First Samuel chapter three, verse seven, it says that Samuel didn't know the Lord yet. So as a young boy, he never heard the word of. 
of God because he didn't know the Lord yet mm. until one night <laughs> the Lord comes to him. Calls to him, yeah. And he knows him, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's uh, there, it's more than just intellectual mm-hmm. because Judges chapter 2, verse 10, Joshua and, and his generation die and an, another generation arises who do not know the Lord. It's not that they don't have intellectual knowledge; it's right. that they're, they don't actually know him. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Hebrew word yada it carries the connotation of a deep, intimate knowledge mm-hmm. and relationship. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son. Mm-hmm. That's that's more than just head knowledge; it's an intimate relationship. Um, and so there's uh, there's something lacking in. Israel, they don't know God. Hosea, in chapter 4, verse 6, he actually says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. Um, but the new covenant is going to rectify that. Mm-hmm. And every member of the new covenant is going to know God in this way. Right. Whereas in the old, there would be some who knew the Lord yeah, this way. Yeah, at some and, point, Samuel and, knew the Lord. Yeah. Um, and Hophni and Phinehas still did not. All right. But they're both still in the covenant. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, but we'll talk about that some more next week. <laughs> right, the covenant cannot be broken. This is um, a yeah. great implication of this. Yeah, um, that so the so the four the four that you you stated already are explicitly given. Mm-hmm. The the law will be on their hearts. Uh, that they will be his people. He'll be their God. Um, they'll know him. Their sins will be forgotten. Mm-hmm. But then there's there's a few more that are implied in the text but they're mm-hmm. not um, they're not quite as clearly laid out. Yeah. And the first one is that the new covenant is unbreakable. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, because verse 9 says that the old covenant was breakable. <laughs> the the people did not keep the covenant and so God had no regard for them and so they went into exile. Um, it should we should make uh, explicit that God never broke His covenant with them. Yeah, God didn't break the covenant; they did. They broke covenant with God. Yeah, and um, even but, after they do, He still would redeem them. Yeah, right. <laughs> like over and over. Yeah, yeah. Because He's like super gracious. Yeah. Um, well, because He has to keep His covenant. He's keeping His covenant with Abraham. Yeah. Right. And with Himself. And with He's, the, he, he's yeah. the persons of the Trinity are right. keeping covenant with with each other. Um, but um, the, the new covenant is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, this, has, this is why we would believe that there's eternal security. Right. right? That you can't, you can't. You can't break it. That's, right. that's the promise. The, the promise is not, well, God's not going to break it, because God didn't break the old covenant. The people did. But in the new covenant, the people won't be able to break it. Right. Now, where do you get that from in there? Well, I mean, it's uh, verse nine. It's not. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no regard for them. So, so so if it's not, it's not going to be like that covenant. uh It's and it's better. Well, what what would be better about it if it still was breakable? If you (laughs) still if you still could break it, then it's it's no better than the law, Mm -hmm. right? You're still not. You're still not keeping the commands, and so God's going to show no regard for you. But because of Christ and his mm-hmm. superior uh, ministry, um, it's unbreakable. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, you can't break it. Right. Not, not only can you not, but the, the issue is, is 
you can't do it because you don't want to do it. Yeah. So we're getting a little little philosophical discussion <laughs> about say, like you yeah. can. That's how you operate. Right. Like you do things you want to do. Right. So a member of the new covenant, the one who possesses the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. whose heart's been regenerated, yeah. will never want to. Right. Even break the covenant because you have the law not written on stone tablets. You have the law written on your heart. Right. Yeah. Um, and it will never end. Mm-hmm. And we see that in verse thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, the in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay. So it's, um, I wasn't able to, to dive into this as much as I had it in my notes um, because of time. But um, the, the word obsolete, um, it, it means that it's abrogated. It's, it's abolished. Okay. Right. Um, and <clears throat> so, it's, gro- it's growing old. That, that word refers to the decay that comes with old age. Mm-hmm. Right. And then to vanish away, it was used in, uh, it was used in uh, the, that early Greek time to talk about a, a piece of legislation that um, it becomes inoperative because it's no longer relevant to the changed circumstances. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a piece of, of law that it's irrelevant because the, the circumstances have changed. And, and what I was thinking about was um, the abolition bills that we have um, we've promoted before. And the, the, um, the, one of the criticisms is that, well, what a, it's going to get rid of all these, these other pro-life laws. Uh-huh. And that's the point. If, if, uh, if abortion was completely outlawed, then you don't need all these other little laws that say, well, abortion is legal up to this point. Mm. It would be irrelevant because the new law has encompassed everything else. Okay. Right. That's that's what is happening here. The law is passing away because it's become irrelevant because the new covenant has already dealt with all of it. All right. So some people listening may they if they've kind of grown up in church and read the Bible, they may have like a question, a counter point, perhaps, from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Mm. where he says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Mm. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So how, for that person wondering, hey, well, what is the writer of Hebrews talking about then? This the law is like passing away. Jesus said it won't pass away until right. it's all accomplished. Yeah, heaven, heaven and earth won't even pass away. Mm. The law will remain until all is accomplished. Yeah. Well, again, I think it's it's verse five mm-hmm. that it was a shadow and a copy of the greater reality. So the law is not going to pass away until all is accomplished. It's accomplished in Christ, in his his life, his death. His resurrection, right? Um, and it, well, interesting to me that he uses uh, the word "it is finished" mm-hmm. or "it is accomplished" right. or "fulfilled." Like right. he has filled up everything mm-hmm. to which all of the law and the prophets were met. Right when he gave up his his spirit to his father, mm-hmm. and he died, and right. that was it. It was yeah. all accomplished. Well, right. and then the resurrection happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how I read it. Yeah. Um, that. He's. I mean, we we think when you read it, you think, oh, well, he means like heaven, uh, heaven and earth will not pass away until it's all accomplished. That means it will just go on until the earth ends. Right. But 
the 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 word at the end is important until it is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Right. So he came to fulfill the law, and he did accomplish it. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that um, the the moral the moral law passes away. It means that um, the law as a whole, the covenant, passes away. Mm-hmm. So we're not under the old covenant anymore. The old covenant has vanished right um and we there's there's no more dramatic way for this to have happened than in AD 70 when the romans came in and they they destroyed the temple right like they they tore the temple down brick by brick um they slaughtered the priest and so for uh, almost 2000 years there has been no temple there have been no Le- levitical priests there have been no animal sacrifices it's because the new covenant has come Mm-hmm. So God, God in His sovereignty, He didn't just announce a new covenant and enact a new covenant and then leave the old covenant system in place. In His sovereignty, um, He He um, He uh, ordained history to move in a way that the Jews would rebel and the Romans would come back and they would destroy everything. And so the Romans were responding to a rebellion. But what they actually were doing is that they were bringing a, a complete end to the old covenant system. Mm-hmm. Um, they were accomplishing God's work of um, being the sledgehammer that would just smash the the remnant of the old covenant. Right. Um, so uh, that this verse right here, verse thirteen, is reason why I think that the book of Hebrews was written before AD seventy, mm-hmm. um, because if it was written after. Where would these Jews be returning to anyway? They wouldn't right. be return. Why is he spending so much time on the Levitical priests and the temple and the sa- the sacrifices if they've been gone? If they're already gone, mm-hmm. um, what what are they going back to? So I think that they're still. This is still operational um, when he when the the writer is is pinning this letter. Right. Um, but it's about it's near. It's near to vanishing away. Right. That's that's the. I don't know why the ESV puts is ready to vanish away. It's it's the Greek word uh near. Mm. It's near to vanishing away. So it's it's coming. It's very close. And the last one is a new covenant is all of grace. Yep. And you said six times there's the words I will mm-hmm. are here. Right. Yeah. God will. Yeah. Yeah. God's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um again, the people don't initiate this. <laughs> they they don't um they don't write the law in their own hearts. Mm-hmm. God does it. Um they, uh, God is going to be merciful toward their iniquities. Despite all their rebellion, despite all their sin, despite the fact that they have um, this inability, God is going to do this for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's not of works, it's something that God alone does for his people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's good news. And continues. That's good news. That's, that's, why the, uh, that's why the new covenant is often called the covenant of grace. Right. Um, because God, in His grace, has done what the law couldn't do. Mm-hmm. It's not a covenant of works. It's a covenant that God, God is the sole um, initiator, and He applies it uh, effectually to His people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. awesome, good stuff. So, we're, what's going on next week? Well, um, we're going to talk about Baptist. Okay, um, because. Uh, I, I think that there's uh, there's plenty of new people in our congregation that maybe have never thought through why they attend a Baptist church, mm-hmm. 
And um, I hope to show them from the New Covenant passage that it leads it leads me to Baptist theology. So you're sticking with chapter eight. So we're going to stick with chapter eight. We're going to look at. Um, I think we're just going to look at um, probably seven through thirteen. Okay, probably will be what we all right. Awesome. We look at. So I wanted to I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the New Covenant and make some um, just show some implications. Okay. Good stuff. All right. Thank you, George. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, Conform to Christ podcast. And uh, our goal, our aim is to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ and to help you and to assist you in that endeavor. And so hopefully Text Driven Tuesday helps you to understand the Bible better and helps you to follow Christ better. Um, If it does, please give us a like, subscribe, maybe share this with your friends, uh, maybe write us a review. Help us get the word out. And hopefully you'll come back this Friday for Free For All Friday. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.